Hey, this is Liberty DeVito, and you're listening to Vicki Abelson's Road Taken. Hi, I'm Vicki Abelson. I wrote a book called Don't Jump. Andy Stone is my heroine, and she was addicted to everything pretty much except heroin. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. She just totally captures the excitement of, of rock stars. And famous athletes and famous comedians. Sort of an insider's view from the outside. The warmth and wit of Vicky's writing knocked me out. In, in a good way, not, not like Cosby. Too soon? Vicky wrote a book? Vicki Abelson's long-awaited new book, Don't Jump, is finally here. Don't miss it. Available on Amazon. Wheezy, John. So you're in the studio. You can see me. I've got right now. I've got like this headphone on my on my head. You do. But normally, like my hair is kind of you know my hair is my thing. My uh, I'm very I'm very my hair is kind of a signature for me. Okay. And I haven't changed my hairdo in about thirty years, maybe more. But anyway, so I'm very attached to this part of me because I think it represents me. I think people associate it with me. You know, it's kind of become a that with my feathers, especially my feathers in my hair, which I started because my hairdresser, who is Cindy Wright at Coif Salon in Studio City. You know, when I was coming out to LA um, a dozen years ago, I had a guy in New York that I went to for years and I was really traumatized that I was moving to Los Angeles and I was going to have to find a new hairdresser and I was pretty freaked out about it because I don't, yeah, it's, that's... Your hair is it, your thing. Yeah, anything yeah. else, you know, I'll go to, yeah, but no, and actually that's not true. I'm loyal to, like, the same doctor, the same, anyway, so my friend Kathleen Wilhoit, Fabulous actress, fabulous singer. You, Kathleen's fabulous. Yeah. She suggested that I go to Cindy. I loved her hair, and I I was scared. And it was before we moved out here, like six months before, so I could find somebody before. Right? I was like looking for a house and looking for a hairdresser. Those okay. were the two important okay. things. Yeah. So and the schools. It was all about the schools. Well, anyway, so I go to Cindy, and she does my hair the first time, and it's magic. And so now it's twelve years later. Nobody touches my hair, but Cindy Wright at Coif Salon in Studio City. She is phenomenal. She does my highlights because I'm not a natural salt and pepper. No, I, somebody said I had salt and pepper. I don't have gray in my hair. No, it's blonde and whatever other color that is. And there's a lot of that. And it's kind of very stripey and, and kind of not natural looking, which I love. And it's very choppy and, and kind of... It's an event. It's an event. The hair is an event. And Cindy is brilliant every time. And, you know, like I, I look back at pictures and I see that, you know, it's changed minimally, you know, through like, and, you know, each time when I do it, I'm like, oh, I liked it better last time until like two weeks later and then I love it. Anyway, I can't recommend her highly enough. I love, love, love her. So if you are looking for somebody that you can trust, depend on, who's fantastic and who's so much fun, I she's become one of my best friends, go to Cindy Wright at Coif in Studio City. Welcome to Vicki Abelson's broadcast, The Road Taken, Celebrity Maps to Success. Vicki's the creator and host of the renowned celebrity-driven literary salon, Women Who Write, and the author of Amazon bestseller, Don't Jump. Here's Vicki. Hey, Wheezy. Hey, Vicki. It's just Wheezy and me. It's, it's just, just <laughs> It's just us. 
the two of us. <laughs> it's the just we the can cat. make it if we try. <laughs> so Wheezy is yes. like t- not only working the board, but she's doing it on our own tonight. We are uh, we are going into wild pioneer territory here, proving that. A capable woman can do anything if she puts her mind to it. I can't really cook or bake or garden. <laughs> well, fuck those things. All those female things. Yeah, who gives a shit about that? You can work pro tools. That's much more valuable. <laughs> barely, <laughs> barely. Well, I don't know. This is your very first time doing it alone, and you're doing it. So that's pretty amazing, and thank you. Well, let's wait until we play this back before we <laughs> applaud. All right, well, well so... Okay, so let's let's talk about. Uh, um, I'm going to talk about my day a little bit. I had um, my blood taken and then put back into my sp- my back. Um, it, in needle. On purpose? Yeah, because I I have uh, still from my car accident. I have um, a bad back, and mm. so rather than get steroids put in there, because steroids have all kinds of nasty side effects, and I didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. So this is called PRP, and they put your own blood back in your back, and I guess it like makes your body think it should go there and heal it, and it kind of goes there. So I had it done about two months ago and it did help a bit and I'm just really over this whole thing it's like the car accident that just keeps on giving you know I've you know eight months of physical therapy and chiropractor and getting nose surgery which which by the way because of the pictures you took for the last two weeks I realized that since my surgery my eyes are weird and when I smile and they're different and I sent it to the surgeon because like well no that can't happen from from what we did can't happen because all we did was fix the septum. And I will, well, well, here's a picture from of me the day before the surgery. And here's pictures of me after. And my smile, my eyes are weird when I smile. So, you know, maybe it's going to go away because of the, the swelling and all of that. And I'm smiling weird because of that. I don't know. But all I know is I'm like over all of it. I'm, I'm just over it. But the good news that's happened since last we talked was that I, um, I had a session with a life coach. Oh, um, that's right. Remember? Yes. And I did it because I I was doing a favor for my friend Jeremy Stevens, who is has at seventy nine has decided to go back and become a life coach because he loves helping people. He's amazing, highly successful. In fact, I really want to have him on the show. He's incredible. You know, everybody loves Raymond and and Coach and America Tonight and Fernwood Tonight. Just great, brilliant comedy writer. But so now he's doing this. And so we had this session. Of course, I wanted to do it all around career. My goal was to figure out how to get this on a bigger platform, how to make more money, all the things that this show is about, you know, I wanted to help myself with, you know. So we start talking, and the first thing he asked me is, if you had a genie and you had three wishes, what would it be? And I didn't want to make money the first one because I didn't want to seem so superficial, even though that was the thing that was most on my mind. So I said, well, I'd like to have the love of my life, you know, true love. And I'd like to have, you know, abundant financial payday, you know, ongoing and and success beyond my wildest dreams. And I'd like to have uh, perfect health and and fitness okay so he starts with love because that's where I started we end up spending the whole time on love that was not my intention and so through the course of our conversation over the hour he challenged me you know why don't you think you have you know the great love I said well I think and trying to get back to finances I said well I think that I'm not intended to have the great love now because I think I'm meant to get my 
my career in place, my finances in shape. Because if a man came along now, I would give it all up, and I I wouldn't I wouldn't give it all up, but I I wouldn't fo- I wouldn't be as focused, and I would be distracted. And I don't think I'm meant to be distracted. I think I'm meant to be to work all this shit out before. I, he said, "Well, why can't you have both?" I said, well, because I'd probably be distracted. He goes, well, why can't you do both? And I said, well, you know, there are times in my life when I've done both. You know, when I fell in love last and before I got married, I, my career was at at a height. And it kept, you're right, okay. And he said, well, what could you do about that? And I said, well, you know, I'm on the dating sites. It really hasn't worked out very well. And he, he said, well, I know people who have met other people on the dating sites and gotten married and stuff. I said, well, you know, so do I. I just met someone last week. I said, but, you know, they, they're on those pay sites. I'm on, you know, the freebies and everything. He said, well, why aren't you on the pay site? And I said, well, I'm a single mom. My daughter's at NYU. He goes, well, aren't you worth the money? I was like, well, and I'm making, right away I'm like making excuse. why not? And then he says, um, uh, well, what else could you do? To meet, to meet the right. I said, well, you know, I'm in a social business. I'm out there. I'm at events. I meet people. I, he said, well, what else could you do? I said, well, I've talked for like years about going and working at Starbucks or at Coffee Bean instead of in my kitchen because I'm really not going to meet a lot of guys in my kitchen. But so, and I've done it a few times, but I haven't done it in a long time. He said, well, w- will you commit to doing that? When will you do that? I said, well, within the next week, I'll do that. Okay. So now we're, he's like, and, and what about the fitness thing? We sort of s- skipped over the, 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 the business thing kind of. He goes, well, what about the fitness thing? I said, well, I really should join a gym and everything, but, you know, I'm a single mom. He goes, well, are you not worth the, the price of a gym membership? Um, uh, uh, well, um, hmm. And so basically he said, you've been writing a story about yourself and you've been making it true. It's time to rewrite the story. Wow. I'm not really being so kind to myself. You're not making yourself the priority. I'm really not. And I, I think that's pretty common for moms. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's sort of essential for the first 10 years. Well, but now we're going into the 20th. But also, yeah. I'm a single mom. So that kind of, and I've got a daughter at NYU. So it kind of, you know, exacerbates that situation. But but the bottom line really, is it about that? Or am I self-sabotaging, period? I think that for women who are uh, instinctive caretakers, mm-hmm. I, I just wouldn't put all the blame on you. I think we're kind of wired that way. And you really have to work to make yourself a priority and not feel guilty about that. And I'm in a program for that, uh, for which I've been in for 12 years. I actually took a 15-year sober cake. Uh, I've been on a cake tour. I took one last night. Um, but I'm in a pro- another program about people, places, and things to learn how to not be a doormat. And, to, and, I'm wor- and I've been working on all of that for years. Well, the interesting thing, Weezy, that happened as soon as I hung up the phone, I'm going to do another. Oh, and then he said, and I really think you should think about life coaching. So... So it was join a dating site. Wait a second. After one lesson, wait, you're ready yeah, to teach? Wait. No, no, no. No. Well, no. He said that I should think about going to school for it a long time ago. Ah. But no, no. But he meant that I should do it. I should be a, a, a client 
not necessarily of his, but of someone's, okay. if not him. So now he's encouraging me to join a dating site, join a gym, and have a life coach. So spend money all over the place to take care of me. Rewrite my story, right? So I'm thinking, well, so, but wait, so now I hang up with him. We make a, an appointment for, for this week. We're going to talk again tomorrow. But meanwhile, I hang up the phone with him, and I immediately get a message from a guy on one of the dating sites. Now, Eileen Young, this is not a secret. I don't know, people out there who don't know me, it might be a secret, but I'm immature. Eileen Young. So uh, my, my, my criteria, whatever it's called, my, my settings are, are set young to men that are younger than me. And, um, and so a guy writes to me and he says, um, I love your new profile picture. Not that I'm stalking you, but we were in touch before. He said, you should up your, your age quotient and touch some older guys. You might be surprised, me, might meet some nice guys. And he's, this guy is 66. I and, agree with him. Okay, so I said, well, you know, and because I had just spoken to Jeremy, I was in an open mind, which is not where I normally am. And I said, you know, I really don't like being should on. Um, don't should on yourself <laughs> is a great expression that I love from the rooms. I really don't like being should at, but um, but I, I'm going to consider that. And while I was writing those words, I did it. I changed my thing. I, I raised it to 65 because... Did you do that on purpose? Because I'm 66. I said no. I said, but I'm just <laughs> I'm just noticing that I'm 61 and yours is only till 60. Anyway, so we went back and forth, and you know, I said, "Are you asking me out?" And you know, he couldn't. He wasn't. Anyway, I ended up going out with the guy. Okay. And you know, but but that's not the point. The point was what happened was I raised my thing, and all of a sudden I get deluged. Oh, by yeah. every guy every old guy in california all of a sudden i was fresh meat and fresh they found me right on so the i got deluged by the old guys well you know the the trouble is i wasn't attracted to any of it it was none of it but i thought okay I got, it just takes one right one right got to keep an open mind got to look at this so now i hear from this other guy on another site i raised i raised my age on all my sites i thought i'm going to be open to this so this other guy contacts me, and he's exactly my age, and he's, I see he has a picture with Ed Sheeran. I'm like, oh, he's in, and he's in the business. He's, oh, okay, this is interesting. So it turns out he was, he was a radio guy, uh, but like promo and stuff and from Philly and back east and stuff. And we, so he ends up calling me, and we end up on the phone for a couple of hours, and it turns out that he tried to help this one young woman with a podcast get her on the radio and get syndicated. And he, was, he had everything in place to help her do this, and she was um, an addict, and she wasn't being responsible and didn't follow through with the things he suggested. But anyway, we made a plan to meet, and I thought, wait a minute. Maybe this session with Jeremy, where we talked about everything but career. It was prophetic. Maybe it's going to end up opening the door to something that is going to end up being about my career. Because when you're not looking, you know, life happens when we're expecting something, doing something else. Anyway, I thought that was really interesting. And so I was going to ask you, so so what do you think about this, about writing your own story? Like, do you have a story that you've written for yourself? Is there anything about your story that isn't serving you, do you think? I don't think so. I do get in my way sometimes with just anxiety and mm -hmm. just the way I'm wired with a little OCD and things that I get preoccupied by that aren't things mm -hmm. that, you know, should be obsessing me. But other than that, I think I'm pretty kind to myself. And, you know, because I haven't had kids, I... I sort of missed that 
uh, that part of female wiring where you're someone's mom every day, all day. <laughs> doesn't matter what age they are. Mm-hmm. But I just think when you're someone's mom, there's a big part of your heart that's somewhere else that all you're attending yeah. to all the time. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I think I was just too selfish to be a mom and, you know, kind of gave me sort of license to be kinder to myself and to indulge myself well but what's interesting is that you've devoted so much of your life to kids because they're not mine (laughs) they leave yeah and they're not my responsibility ultimately so Mm -hmm. there's a lot of freedom within that kind of mentoring that's a good point well but you're you're overly generous of with your time your resources and everything with everybody in your life so you go well above and beyond selfish is not a word I would ever use to describe you um, okay so it maybe like then in terms of self-care mm-hmm. I have that space yes mm-hmm Yes, you also draw you also draw boundaries for yourself, which is also really good. Mm-hmm. Like you can say, "No, I'm done now," and it's time to stop. Or yeah, and and that's that's a that's a skill. That's a good thing. That's 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 a good thing. That that is self care. My friend Sean Polofsky, who's a hilarious comedian that you need to meet, mm-hmm. she is always analyzing people based on their astrological sign, and mm-hmm. she she's always saying, "Oh, you're a Scorpio. When you gotta bounce, <laughs> you bounce." Well, I'm a Scorpio, and I don't bounce. You don't bounce, yeah. I don't bounce as well as I probably should. But I think this is all really interesting, and I and I hope that it's food for thought for those of you out there who have maybe a piece of your story that it might be time to rewrite. And for me, it's about wait a minute. Am I what would it really cost to do all of those things that Jeremy suggested? And oh, I just this is what I was thinking while you were talking Uh is. I don't think that you necessarily have to spend money in each of these areas. For example, I don't belong to a gym, but I walk everywhere. I walk, I, I walk every day. I have yeah. an Apple mm-hmm. Watch, and I mm-hmm. make sure that I fi- finish my rings every day. I'm very compulsive about it. Right, as Excellent. we said, OCD. Um, <laughs> you could you could get a job at Starbucks or at Coffee Bean to meet people and get paid rather than paying to be on a dating site. So there's a lot of like where you could take what you're going to be giving to yourself and it's not necessarily monetary it's well, just care and feeding well that's what i've kind of been i've been working around this spending money like i'm on all, all these free dating sites and everything so anyway so I, I got on one yesterday that's a pay site but they have a free version just to kind of see what it was like and i hate it uh-huh. they, they don't even they say you've got messages and they they've sent me like notifications that i've got messages from like 30 guys they won't let me see them until i pay they're, they're holding me <gasps> ransom oh. they won't even let me like you know like they, they won't let me do anything my hands are tied they just but me Meanwhile, everybody they're showing me is a critter. There are all these old guys, not one guy that would be somebody that would actually attract me. And so if you want me to spend my money, so I sent them a note. I'm like, if you want me to spend my money, you, you better like broaden this field here. Um, but but it's but I don't think it's about what I, I think what the lesson for me with Jeremy about writing my own story was less about spending the money and more about opening my mind, mm-hmm. you know, because I get I think I'm so open minded, but I really get set in my ways. And yeah, you do. Uh, and I think, you know, yourself really well. But then maybe sometimes you think you're, you know yourself too well and you don't know which parts of yourself would be open to a little bit of change. 
A lot of change. I think I'm at a point where I need to change a lot of things. And what ended up happening, too, is I kind of got blocked. I've been working, my manager's been waiting for this treatment from me for to turn my book into episodic and television. And in, in the course of 36 hours, I got four impassioned messages about people right now. My book's been out for a year and a half. And within, actually within one hour, I got three messages about my book, like passionate, like passionate responses to my book. And I just, I got another one the next day and I'm like, okay, this is a sign. You know, I, and I've been blocked on this thing I have to do for my manager because it's, it's very specific. I've written a lot of treatments before, but nothing exactly like this. There's Liberty. Liberty's calling. Liberty's calling. Okay. So Wheezy. Liberty DeVito. I'm excited because I, he's a drummer. He's a, and you're a drummer. And he's awesome. And he and he and he's an awesome drummer. And you know, and I and I have to say, I I've seen Liberty play at the same time as like I'm not even going to say their names, but two world famous drummers, and they had two drum kits on the stage at the same time at jams, and Lib was on one, and these other people were on the others, and and. He blew them Wait. out of the box. Oh, we can't you're, even say who they are? Is yeah, it Phil and Chester? Really no. pl- uh, Vicky, what? you're playing this. Playing uh, I, I, I say, we're acting like Liberty's not here. Liberty's already here. He's going to hear his intro. But no, you're not here yet, Liberty. You're not hearing this. I pretend that you're not hearing this. But but no, the okay. truth is I am not saying this because he can hear this because I was going to say this anyway. It's the truth. And I don't know if you, rem- I don't know if you, Liberty, remember who I saw you play with at the same time. But they're like major fucking drummers and you fucking kick their ass but that's beside the point i mean they're wonderful drummers also no but you you are the quintessential rock and roll drummer and that is why liberty played with billy joel for 30 fucking years wow 30 years yeah. okay 30 and we're gonna we're gonna talk about all that and and how it started and what and then he also play has played with carly oh he's recorded with carly simon phoebe snow karen carpenter a lot of dead people um stevie nicks rick wakeman <laughs> bob james the beach boys meatloaf just to name a few um uh, he, yeah. he, liberty is really a drummer's drummer i mean i i've been in the audience when other musicians are watching him on stage and whenever anybody speaks of him John Maddox who's one of our sound engineers who does um, he does the the sound edit for us now when I told him that you were going to be on the show he was sick that he couldn't be here today because he's a big fan I mean everybody is he fanboyed he fanboyed Um, so Anyway, um, <laughs> Liberty was with Billy Joel along with another old friend of mine, Richie Kanata, and I went back and watched some yeah. videos today of you guys. Oh my God, you guys were such babies. I don't even want to talk about how much hair you had and how much hair Richie had and long hair and oh my God. But anyway, so so they were part of the Billy Joel band, um, and they have been inducted into the Long Island Music Hall of Fame. Wow! Which um, yeah. there's another Hall of Fame that you really belong. In and we'll talk about that. But anyway, in 2003, Liberty signed on as the official supporter of Little Kids Rock. Wow. Now, Louise, this is going to speak to you because yes. Liberty does think because Liberty, we're going to talk to Louise about this too. But Louise does a lot okay. for kids, and Liberty does a lot for kids. This organization provides free musical instruments and instruction to children in underprivileged public schools throughout the USA. Yes. And um, Lib has personally delivered instruments to children in that program and performed to benefits um, for the cause and he's on the he's on the honorary board of directors Um, additionally along with rock and roll hall of famer ricky bird 
um, my another old friend of mine who um, has been on the road taken and uh, it was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame a couple years ago for with Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. Um, Liberty has been playing with the New York City Hit Squad. Uh, for years, and I've seen them play many times in many incarnations, and also um, you play with Ricky's Clean Getaway too, right? Yes, I do. Which um, is another a great, um, which is a great using music to be of service, which we're going to talk about. Anyway, it is my thrill to welcome to the show as cause, as if he's coming on right now for the first time, Liberty Devito. <laughs> Yay. Yay! Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay. It's great to be here. <laughs> okay, so so now you now you can actually be here for real. So okay, I'm really here now. Now you're really here. Okay, so before we even get to Billy Joel, I want to go like way back. So you did, you grew up in Long Island? Is that where you hail well, from? I was born in Brooklyn. I was oh. born in Brooklyn. My father was a New York, a New York City cop. He worked in Brooklyn. Okay. Actually, he worked in he worked in the precincts that I'm in now, the 77th precinct wow. in Brooklyn. Wow. So when I told when I had moved. Back to Brooklyn, I told him where I lived, and he used to tell me, "Get out of there! You can't live there. It's really dangerous." I said, "Dad, times have changed." And when he used to come visit me before he passed away, he used to bring his uh, his service revolver with him. Oh my god! <laughs> what 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 neighborhood are you in? I'm in Clinton Hill. So now Clinton Hill has been all re- now. Is Clinton Hill no Cobble Hill? I I don't know Clinton Hill per se. No Clinton Hill. The next one is Bed Stuyvesant. Oh oh wow! So that that's which, 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 that's dodgy. Which which, which which they call Bedford Heights now. Oh <laughs> yeah, so it's getting fancy. You know, it has has uh, Bed Stuy gotten better? Yeah. Much well, better. Wow. A lot of people move there because you can get a brownstone now up there, probably for. Seven fifty, maybe a million bucks. You know, Man. so people are going there now. I I lived right on the border of Harlem when I uh, my apartment in New York was on 123rd between Broadway and Amsterdam. I mean, it was like bordering right there, you know, across the street from the projects. But you know, the the value we had an unbelievable three bedroom, two bathroom apartment, grass and tree. I mean, you know, you do what you do, and and that was all getting gentrified also because of Columbia. So yeah. Now okay. it's really difficult to live there, you know. Yes, yeah, so, a lot okay. of money. It is so. Okay, so you you were born in Brooklyn, and then, but where'd you go to school? Where'd you go to high school and stuff? Long Island, Seaford High School. Seaford. So when and yeah. when did you realize that music was your thing? When did you start playing? What 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 inspired you? What 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 got you? Well, you know, it's funny. I asked my dad. I said, "What? Well, why the drums?" Because I don't know why I started with the drums. And he told me. He said, "Because they didn't make Prozac back when you were little." <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, no, it, um, I, so uh, my cousin was selling a set of drums. My parents bought them for me. Uh, I was in the sixth grade, and I joined the sixth grade school band. I could not do the buzz roll in the Star Spangled Banner. You know that roll that goes all the yeah. way through that. I couldn't do that. So the teacher told me, put, put the sticks down, DeVito. You'll never do anything with the drums. <gasps> wow. So I got discouraged. And then uh, I get into junior high school. It's uh, I'm like 13 years old. I'm in eighth grade, and I'm walking around the hall, and I'm noticing that these other human beings are walking in the hall with me, and I find out that they're girls, and I want to meet them. <laughs> yeah. But the girls, the girls in my school like the guys that uh, played sports. Uh. I tried playing sports. I really sucked at it. I'm really bad at sports. <laughs> so, um, you know, what's a guy to do that doesn't play sports? And I wear glasses. Too, and they were Oi. like Buddy Holly glasses, big Coke bottle <laughs> bottoms, you know, the, 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 that whole thing. Anyway, uh, so 1964, here they come. My heroes come on TV. There yeah. they were in black and white yeah. on the Ed Sullivan show, The Beatles. And uh, 
you know, I looked at the TV and I noticed that when the, the camera was on the Beatles and then it panned the audience and all these girls were screaming <laughs> at these not that good looking guys. And then I looked at my sister and her friends and they were screaming at a black and white TV at these not that good looking guys. I thought, I thought fuck the buzz roll. I'm doing that. You know. <laughs> So had you stopped playing after sixth grade? Had you stopped, or were you still playing? Well, I, I just, I just was the, just used to, you know, um, once in a while, sit behind the drum set and try to do something. Uh-huh. But no, I didn't get serious until the Beatles were on TV. And so, okay, so what did that? What did getting serious in junior high mean? What What did you do? That meant, well, I, I my mother sent me for lessons again uh-huh. at a, a music store that was close to our house. Mm-hmm. I got in there, and the guy was teaching me how to play. Jazz, like right, that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And I said, uh, "When are you going to teach me how to play like Ringo?" <laughs> and he said, "Why do you want to learn how to play like Ringo for? He stinks." Oh. I said, "Well, I saw my TV. I saw my TV last night, and all these girls were screaming for him, and I don't see anybody beating on your door." So, so that was the end of my lesson. So the way I had the way I had to learn was um, I had a I put on records became my book, and uh-huh. I would listen. Mm. and try to figure out what the um, drummer was doing on a record and try to imitate him. Mm. And it started out with Ringo, you know, Beatle record. Right. Now, and, yeah. and now I, I, I know, I'm not a drummer, but I know from a lot of drummers like Dan Hickey and stuff that Ringo is their god. Like, people like really respect Ringo as a drummer. I'm assuming you do. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, he, ch- he changed the way... Uh, the way drumming happens, you know. I mean, it was insane because you figure there was big band before Ringo, right? You know, for the Beatles, and, and then there was, uh, you know, so there was the, always this shuffle, like that kind of thing, right? Yeah. And then you get Elvis, and he was doing the same type of thing. Oh, let me be teddy bear, you know, that kind of shuffle. And all of a sudden, these guys come from England, and you hear really like. Playing black music that we weren't allowed to listen to, right? <laughs> and it was like, oh my god, this is so great, you know. So now, yeah, he changed the way we think. So now, how old were you in Ring when when the beat in '64? You were you were still like a kid. Thirteen. You're thirteen. Okay. And they were so, on the Ed Sullivan show. So yeah. now, okay. So now, how long does it take you to start to to teach yourself basically how to play? And what's your first band? When when, when are you in your first band? So I'm playing, and my first band, I was probably maybe 15, 14, mm-hmm. 15, mm-hmm. and uh, we, we were called the Rogues. Okay. And uh, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and we actually got a one one guy, he, he didn't play an instrument, but he kind of had the same haircut as Paul McCartney, <laughs> so it was like he was in the band immediately. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but we were just a bunch of kids from high school, you know. I, I had a set of drums, and my other friends got guitars for Christmas, cheap <laughs> guitars. <laughs> and it turned out we started, we, we found a guitar player that was from Lindbrook, Long Island. Mm-hmm. And he played really well, but he only played, like, the Ventures, instrumentals. Right. So we were an instrumental band. Ah, okay. And that's how we started. And then we started to play school dances, and then we realized we needed a singer. Mm-hmm. So we, we got a singer, and um, but the thing that was amazing was that as the more I practiced and the more I played with with people live, right. the better I got, and I kept going from one band to another. Right, so I just kept moving. Okay, so now, did you know when did you decide this is what I want to do with my this is what I want? 
this? Well, I I went from from the Rogues to mm-hmm. playing uh, with, with um, another band when I was seventeen, still in high school. I played with a bunch of friends that were older than me in high school, and uh, they were called the New Rock Workshop. Uh, we played in Plainview in this club, and it was kind of like the, the psychedelic era, and we mm-hmm. wore big bell bottoms and striped pants with the big dog collars on our shirts <laughs> and stuff like that. And I had met. Uh, the Vanilla Fudge then, you know, with Carmine. Oh, the, my God. I, saw, I saw you play with Carmine, actually. I saw you both on two kits at a jam, you and Carmine. That was pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, Carmine's so, so great. Now, mm-hmm. I've known Carmine now since I was 16, 17 years wow. old. And so I started jamming with Vinnie Martell, who was the guitar player in the band. So now was Vanilla and Fudge already like a thing? They were already a thing, were they? Oh, they were. yeah, they were yeah. a thing. The way I heard them, the first I heard them, uh, the band that I was in, the New Rock Workshop, mm-hmm. they were coming to the club that we played in the next night, the following night. Yeah. And um, we were going to open up for them. Uh-huh. And somebody said, well, they're playing at the Action House, which wasn't too far from where we were. Uh-huh. Tonight, you want to go see them? And I said, okay. I'm 17. I got fake proof. I walk in. Fake they proof. come on. And <laughs> Carmine was playing so hard, it frightened me. <laughs> I told Carmine this. I said, you Scared the shit out of me when I saw you play. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and, and, be, and so you, hard. you're a really fierce drummer. Like, I was just looking at some old videos, some old Billy Joel videos. You are you are a fierce drummer. You are fierce. So if, if well, Carmine that, that, was scaring you... All, <laughs> yeah, I learned all that shit from Carmine and Dino Danelli, all wow. those, those early rock drummers. They were rock drummers, you know? Right, right. You played hard. I yeah, I played for the guy who was in the back row, not the person who's in the front. Right, right. You know? Okay, so and that's how they played. So now, yeah. so you open for Vanilla Fudge, and so now you already know this is what you want to do with your life. You've already made that decision, have you? Uh, not yet. So what? What do you? Yet. So oh. what do you? What's the oh, first the thing you want to be when you're a kid? What What do you think you're going to be when you grow up? Well, when I was really young, I thought I was going to be a clown in a circus. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I had a similar thought. Really? Yeah, it's like fascinating. Like, you know, I'm going to do in a circus is just go away and be a clown. Yeah, and live on the train. And I'll, and I'll be yeah. sad forever. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah I, I, I thought that was really cool, too. Okay, so you want to be a clown. So now you get a little older. You're, you're in high school. You haven't yet decided to be a drummer. What do you want to be now? Uh, I, I'm well now. Now I want to be a drummer. Oh, now you know, okay. I want to be in a band like the Beatles. Yeah, but um, you know, so with each band, I'm getting closer to that. You know, um, I'm playing uh, it, now with with Vinnie Martell from the Vanilla Fudge with Jammy right in, in this in their management area uh, called Breakout Management in, in Oceanside, uh-huh. and all of a sudden uh, there was a band a while ago. You know, Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. Yeah, yeah. Remember that? Well, they had split up, and the Detroit Wheels came to New York looking for a drummer, and they went to breakout management, uh-huh. and they said, we're looking for a drummer. And they said, well, there's a kid in the back that plays with Vinny that's not bad. Wow. So I played with them just for a short time because one of them had a, a bad drug problem, and I won't mm-hmm. get into that. But um, that I moved on from there, went back home again after like a long weekend with them. Mm-hmm. And the next thing I knew, Mitch called me. Wow. And his drummer got sick. His drummer was Johnny Sayomas, who went on to do Frampton Comes Alive. Wow. And um, and uh, so I had to sit in for Johnny for six weeks on the road with Mitch Ryder. Wow. You know? And you're just and a I, kid. I'm, I'm just 18 now, right out wow. of high school. Wow. 
And now from what I read, you had already met Billy Joel at this point. Like you were aware of each other, like starting like yes. in high school, right? How did that happen? In, in that club where the vanilla, we opened for the Vanilla Fudge, uh-huh. he, Billy was in a band called The Hassles, and we used to trade nights as the house band. Wow. So I would walk past Billy and we'd just like give a, a general like, hi, how you doing? You know, like uh-huh. that kind of thing. Right. And he was called, he was called Billy Joe back then. Ah, he, uh, there would be no Green Day. So now, did you did you know as soon as you heard him that there was something special about him? Did you know? Well, uh, you know, he they, the Hassles did the song called "College Rain," and I thought, oh my God, this song is so great. These guys are fantastic. I can't believe how good they are. And then I found out that Traffic, Steve Winwood, Traffic did. They wrote "College Rain," <laughs> and they were just ripping off Traffic. <laughs> <laughs> So, so they were just doing covers at that time. Billy wasn't writing music. Yeah, ah. yeah. As a matter of fact, they had a record out on Universal label. Uh, you got me humming, Sam and Dave's. You got me humming. Mm-hmm. They had a, a little semi little hit with it. I'm imagining you had to know as soon as you heard him that there was something special about his voice. I mean, that voice is pretty extraordinary. Well, the voice, the, the voice had to mature. Well, that's true too. Uh, that, Robert, yeah. You know, yeah, he's yeah. really high and all that kind of crap. <laughs> and then he matured. His voice matured. Right. You know, when right. his balls dropped, I don't know what happened. <laughs> all right. So, so you're playing with Mitch Ryder. You're 18 years old. What happens after yeah. that? Yes. Well, I can tell you what. Because uh, we can we can say bad words on this. Yes, right? you can say bad, bad words. Right? It's me. Yeah. Hell. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right. Imagine this. I'm 18 years old. Just did a show with Mitch. The first time I see Mitch is when he walks out on stage. We're playing from college in Connecticut. Wow. And uh, the sax player just tells me, watch me, because I'm familiar with Mitch. I've listened to all his records and stuff right. like that. sax player says, watch me. I'll tell you when to stop. I'll tell you when to start and everything like that. So I got through the show. I thought it was pretty good, you know. Uh-huh. So I'm sitting on the bus, and my hair now is down on my shoulders, you know, past my shoulders. I'm wearing a green Paisley bell-bottom sleeve shirt, Nehru shirt, <laughs> with bell-bottom pants on, thinking I am the hippest guy <laughs> that ever walked the planet. Right? 18 years old, I'm playing with Mick Ryder. This yeah. is big. <laughs> yeah. This is huge, right? Yeah. So the guys get on the bus, the rest of the band, and, and it's like they're going, yeah, great, good, 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 good. So I'm waiting for Mitch to come on the bus, and he finally gets on the bus and walks right past me. <laughs> right past me. Aww. So the guys go, he'll be back, don't worry, you know. So finally he comes up to me, sits down in the seat next to me, and he goes, did you have a good time? I said, yeah. He goes, you had a lot of fun, huh? I said, yeah. He said, would you like to do this for the rest of your life? I said, yeah. He said, blow me. And he went back to the back of the bus. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. What does that even mean? What did he mean? What was that? All the guys in the band... They all started laughing. Of and they, course. they all said, he'll be back. He'll be back. But that was my first. Wow. How do you do into the music business? Holy I mean, shit. Detroit, this Detroit rocker that just knocked me off my pedestal immediately. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know? Oh, my God. So, I never had time for my head to get swollen. <laughs> <laughs> did, did, so did, did he ever make nice with you after that? Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
we, we, we became friends. I mean, when I got with Billy and we used to play Detroit, he used to come or his daughter would come, you know, to see the shows all the time. Well, that's cool. Okay, so you spent six weeks on the road with, with Mitch Ryder, and then what happens? Yes. Then I come home and I uh, play with uh, Richie Super. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I'm 18 going on 19, and I'm playing with Richie Super, and we make an album in Atlanta, Georgia, called Super's Jamboree. Uh-huh. And it's really cool. We drive down there. We're in Studio One, the same studio as the Atlanta Room section, and all those those Southern bands, they all recorded there. Mm-hmm. We make this album. It's great. We go on the road, and I have a car accident. Oh. Really bad. Oh. Yeah, really bad. And I think, that's it. That's the end of my playing. I'm never going to play again. Oh, wow. And I end up getting engaged to the girl that I was, dating at the time we get engaged uh-huh. and i'm going to settle down i get a regular job at this place called fala mailman uh where you sort out junk mail and yeah. put it in envelopes and mail it to people uh-huh. and uh the, the the worst thing that was happening to me was every time i drove to the job i'd have the radio on and the mm-hmm. music just kept calling me back yeah for some reason. so but i i didn't want to play anymore but i had a friend that was playing weddings yeah. At this place called the Narragansett Inn on Long Island. So he used to want me to sit in for him when he couldn't make the gig. And I used to say, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not playing anymore. Finally, he arranged it before I could say no. Huh. Kind of made me an offer I couldn't refuse. Uh-huh. So he lends me his tux. My hair is down past my shoulders now. <laughs> and uh, I've recovered from this accident. And I go play. And I'm sitting there waiting to, to start the gig. It's a wedding. And um, the guys in the band, there's, a, there's an accordion player, a sax player, and a trumpet player. That's it. And me. <laughs> what? And I'm thinking of my... There's and, no, yeah. there's no like, guitar? Like, there's no keyboard? What? Okay. No, cardboard, no keyboard, no guitar. Wow. Nothing. Okay. Accord, accordion, sax, and, and trumpet. Bizarre. So, and they're like, you know, I'm like 19, and they're like, in their 40s, like almost hitting 50. <laughs> oh. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, I played with Miss Ryder. This is it. This is, <laughs> this is so stupid of me to do this. Why am I even here? This is ridiculous. These guys, how are they going to blow these horns? They're so old, right? <laughs> first song, first song, the trumpet player turns around and goes, the bride wants us to start with a merengue. I went, what the <laughs> hell is a merengue? <laughs> so... From that point on, I stayed at the Narragansett Inn and played for two and a half years and learned <gasps> more about music wow. than anywhere else. Wow. Unbelievable. Wow. From the from the yeah. trumpet player, the accordion player, and wow. That's... From the accordion player. Yeah, and then it turned out the uh, uh, the accordion player had played on the recording of, of Patty Page's Tennessee Waltz and wow. you know, shit like that. It was like, wow. wow, these guys know a lot that I have no idea. It probably you know? also taught you to be really tasty, I'm guessing, because it's such a yeah, subtle yeah. medium, right? So you have to, uh, like, use it in the brushes and all that kind of stuff, and right? Well, the, the funny thing is, is, is um, when uh, fast forward to the Stranger album, and we're doing Just the Way You Are, mm-hmm. and I play it with a brush and a stick, and... When people heard it, they were like, wow, how'd you come up with that idea of a brush and a stick? Mm. Well, you play a bossa nova with a brush and a stick, and that's what we used to do with the wedding, you know? 
Wow. I, oh. ju- I just watched a bunch of the videos from The Stranger today. Wow. Oh, God. And, and okay, so, all right, we, right, we got to get to, all right, so, so you do this for a couple years, and are you keeping your day job while you're doing these weddings? I am not. I quit uh-huh. the day job because I'm playing like five weddings now on a weekend. Wow. And, and I also am playing with another bunch of guys. We have a band called Topper. We're doing mm-hmm. all original material. And mm-hmm. in the band is Russell Javers and Doug Stegmeyer mm-hmm. and Howie Emerson mm-hmm. who are playing guitar. These are and the guys you end up in the Billy Joel band with, correct? Yes. yes. But first I'm getting Doug. I get Doug into the wedding, too. So now we're becoming a bit of a pop band. Uh-huh. I get the keyboard player now that played with Super with me when uh-huh. I was with Super. I get him in the wedding band, too, because... Now we're making money. Right. We're, we're playing weddings. It's like a steady job. Right. We're in the union now and all that kind of oh, stuff. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, but we're, we're still playing, um, doing the original material with the band Topper. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then Topper, Doug gets the gig with Billy Joel on the Street Life Serenade tour. Mm-hmm. And at the time, Billy is recording with studio musicians in California, mm-hmm. and going on the road with a different band. Uh-huh. And he, he tells Doug when he's on the road, he goes, look, I want to move back to New York, and I want the same band to record with me that goes on the road with me, uh-huh. and I want a New York-style drummer. And uh-huh. Doug says, well, you already know the guy. You know, uh-huh. so, and so eventually we go in and record turnstiles. It's me, Doug, and Russ, and me, Doug, and Billy. And we're listening back, and Billy's saying, well, I need guitars on this. And me and Doug said, well, we know guitar players. We get Howie and Russell in the band. Wow. So, with Richie Cannata. Oh, my. Now, how did you know How did you know Richie? How did Richie come in? Doug's brother was an engineer and had used Richie on some tracks. And, you know, Billy, you know, at the time, Springsteen had a sax player. And right. everybody was using sax players. And so uh, Billy said he wanted a sax player in the band. Louise, so for, cool. I'm you know, just I mean, telling, Rich, filling Rich, Louise Rich in and... And the people at home, Richie Cannata is the one who plays all those iconic saxophone riffs on all the Billy Joel stuff. Yeah. And he also, he yeah. played a lot of keyboards uh, with Billy also. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He played organ and, and yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, synthesizer and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. yeah flute, uh, cla- uh, you know, all that mm-hmm. stuff. He was the utility guy in the band. Yeah. Yeah. He was great. He sang, too. Yeah, I, I I didn't realize how much he did in that band until I went back and watched the old videos. I was like, oh my God, he's doing everything in here. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, it was great. He, he came into the studio the first time to meet everybody, and we had just recorded Angry Young Man from the mm-hmm. Turnstiles album. Mm-hmm. And he was like, what the hell am I going to do in this band? And then Billy said, well, there's another song I really want you to play on, and it was New York State of Mind. Oh, and that wow. was the first song that Richie played with wow. us. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So now, okay, so now as soon as you join up with Billy's already broken through when you join the band, um, but well, he, yeah. he's broken through, but he's absolutely not the iconic rock star that he is about to become. Do you have any idea what you've just gotten into? Do you, do you sense what's, do you, what, what, what do okay, you think funny, you're getting into? Funny story. Yeah. Funny story. I'm, I'm told to listen to Street Life Serenader and, and the Piano Man album and learn those songs right. from the audition, mm-hmm. right? And I also asked, what is Billy into? You know, mm-hmm. like, and they say, go get Captain Fantastic by Elton John. He really likes that, that uh-huh. stuff, too. Uh-huh. And so I go, go get that, and I'm learning some of those songs. And before that, 
I used to only listen to uh, R&B. Right. Like Franklin, Sam and Dave, all, uh-huh. Otis Redding, all that kind of stuff. And my mother loved R&B. Uh-huh. So I'm down in our, my basement with my mother. You know, my mother's upstairs cooking. And she comes down, and I'm, play, I'm playing Billy songs. And she goes, you're going to audition for that guy? Why? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Hated the songs. <laughs> no kit. Wow. Um, but all right. So that's another question I wanted to ask you. How do your parent? Are, are your were your parents? I mean, you, they got you the original drum kit. Are they supportive right. of you doing this through your life? Like, do they ever bug you? Go to college? Do this? Do that? Or are they okay with you being a drummer? What What's going on well, at home? Well, there was different times. Uh, my, well, of course, my dad bought me the drum kit, and right. then my my dad. He was um, he he was a policeman, and he brought the job home sometimes. Mm, mm. And when my hair was getting longer, I kind of looked like the guys he was arresting. <laughs> some, sometimes I get a beating for it, you know. Oh. And I remember one time he, he gave me a beating, and he felt so bad that the next day he bought me a new set of drums. We oh. came into the city, and he bought me a new set of drums. Oh. So in that way, he was supportive. If yeah. I was practicing downstairs, he would go to the movies. <laughs> but my mother, she always loved music. She used to mm. cut school to go see Frank Sinatra. Wow. And in fact, when I was born, um, I, I w- <laughs> my mother lived with my aunt at the time, not with my father. And they lived in a one-room furnished apartment in Brooklyn. Yeah. And it was so small that they used to pull out a drawer in the, in the dresser <laughs> that was built into the wall and make, take the clothes out and make that into where I slept at night. And she said... They always had a radio on uh, on that dresser, mm. and I, they thought it was always music playing. Mm. And it was funny because when I got with the weddings, there were so many songs that I was familiar with that these guys were playing. Mm. You know, must have ingrained in my brain. Wow, that's crazy. When I was really little. Wow. So you, so your mother, so did your mother eventually come around and come to appreciate Billy Joel and that music? Oh my God, she used to come to the shows and she used to have a sign and hold it up that said mom on it. But if she held it upside down, it said, wow. (laughs) And she had a shirt that on the front, it said, my son is, and on the back, Billy Joel's drummer. Oh, I love this. And my dad, my dad, you know, I I played with, uh, also played with Felix Cavalieri for a a year and a half. Uh Uh-huh. And, you know, from from the Rockets. Yeah, yeah. On a a break from Billy. And um, once I was playing at a park, with Felix out in Massapequa, and my father was there, and he's at the front of the stage, and he's like going crazy, he's freaking out. <laughs> and my a friend of mine, a childhood friend of mine, puts his arm around my father and says, "You almost blew it, Mr. DeVito, didn't you? You almost blew it." <laughs> like in other words, my father almost blew it and had me go another road. Right. But now he's cheering for me, you know. Oh, so sweet. Yeah. I, all right, so 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 you you. You join Billy, and I would imagine the strangers when everything exploded out crazy for you guys. Is that is that when it happened? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, turnstiles. When we did turnstiles, we went on a turnstiles tour, mm-hmm. which was probably the most fun of them all. But um, uh, you know, cause now how old am I now? Twenty four, twenty five. Uh huh. And so we're on the turnstiles tour. I think turnstiles sold like fifty thousand copies, and Columbia Records was giving Billy one more shot. This is it. If this one bombs, you're off the label. Wow. Um, and that's when Phil Ramone came in. 
Uh-huh. And Elizabeth, Billy's wife, took over the management company. Uh-huh. So now all the pieces are in place. Uh-huh. But the funny thing is, before Phil came in, uh, Billy was looking for a producer because he knew this album was going to be very important. Mm-hmm. And he was speaking to George Martin. Wow. Beatles yeah, hell first. yeah. And um, so George comes and sees us play. Mm-hmm. And we're all excited. Like, oh, my God, George Martin. Yeah. Who's the Beatles? He's coming to see us play. This is insane. Yeah. It's going to be so great. He's the best producer in the world. This is unbelievable. Come see us play. After the, after the show, Billy goes and talks to him. Uh, Billy comes back and he goes, we said, so how'd it go? He said, Billy says, he wants to produce me. Great. But he doesn't want to use you guys. I knew that's <laughs> what, oh, magicians. shit. Right. Oh. So then we all go, uh, you know, so Billy, I, we said, what, what, did he, what did you say to him? And Billy said, love me, love my band, <gasps> and turned him down. Wow. So, so we all said, ah, George Martin, he sucks. What did he do to Mr. Beatles? Nothing. That's such a Greg Brady <laughs> moment. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. That is, so that that, is that, so fantastic to hear. That is amazing to hear. That's shocking yeah. and wonderful. So then, then Phil Ramon came to see us. And we played Carnegie Hall for three nights, and Phil came to see us, and he was the one that said, the band is really, really good. Mm-hmm. I just got to get that sound onto the record. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So he was the one that got us on, on the record. The sound, the way we did live. So, so, okay, so now all hell breaks loose, and now you're like playing stadiums and it's huge and it's how well, not yet. Okay. Not yet. Not yet. Okay. So ha- tell yet. me how your life changes. So, so you record the stranger and what happens? We record the stranger. Now the stranger, the first song that comes out is moving out mm-hmm. and it doesn't do well. Kind of yeah. comes out and goes, goes away. Wow. Second song that comes out is just the way you are. <laughs> yeah. Now this song Almost didn't get on the album. Wow! Because we were a rock band, mm-hmm. you know, a rock band with a piano player. Right. So that kind of loungy that song, you know. Right. We always thought, ah, it's wimpy, it's, yeah, you know, yeah. uh-huh. the brush and the stick thing, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so before the album come out, BB Snow and Linda Ronstadt come in the studio, mm-hmm. and Phil plays them just the way you are. Mm-hmm. And after the song is over. They look at us and they say, if you guys put that out of the album, you will get more women than you know what to do with. <laughs> Bam! It went right on the album. <laughs> God, I loved Phoebe. I was had a little <laughs> friendship with Phoebe for a bit. Oh, man. Miss her. Um, yeah. Okay, so Linda and Phoebe are the ones that got that, that song on the album. I love that. Um, yes. And so, and and so, what made it? What, why was it the second single? What? How did it become the second single? What? What? What was the thinking I there? I don't know why. They, I don't know why they go with the first one or the second one. But the, the, just the way you are was the one that, that took off. Right. Had legs and just kept running. It won the Grammy for Record of the Year, mm-hmm. which is better than Song of the Year because only the writer gets. Song of the year, but the, the whole band is involved in the record of the year. You know, well, please and explain to me what the difference between song of the year and record of the year is, because I don't—I've never song understood of, it. Song of the year goes to the songwriter. Okay. The guy who wrote the song. You know, it's more about that and the artist who recorded it. Okay. You know, the singer. 
with record of the year. Oh, the whole like production. The whole thing that's mm. put together. I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So the, the band has, you know, stuff to, plots to do with that. Right, right. So now the next record single that comes out is Only the Good Die Young. It oh. kind of goes... Uh, okay, wait a minute. Now, before you mo- before you move on, move away from this song. I just watched a video where Billy was talking about how that song um, came to be, and you had a lot to do with that, according to Billy. Yeah, he he wrote it like a reggae song. <laughs> like <laughs> he wrote it like a he actually wrote it on the road. I mean, uh, there was the circus was in town, and me and the sound man ran off to the circus for two days, and. <laughs> We learned to juggle and stuff like that. And I come back, and Richie Canada comes running down the hall. He goes, wait, do you hear this song that Billy wrote? You know, because it's about Catholics, and we grew up Catholics and right. stuff like that. You uh-huh. know, Catholic girls. And he comes down, he comes in with a guitar, and he's playing it like a reggae thing. I'm not Virginia. You know, it's like, oh, and I'm going, Billy, oh, my God, you can't say that about Catholic girls. This is crazy, man. So anyway, we're in the studio and we're playing it reggae, and it's like I I can't stand this, Billy. This sucks. And the closest you've ever been to Jamaica is Jamaica Queens. Yes, that's what Billy says on the video. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) So, so the beginning of the song with the drum fill Uh and the whole groove with the brushes Uh is kind of uh, I stole that from a Jimi Hendrix song called Up From The Skies. It's on the Axis Holders Love album. I love that song, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and so it, that the swing thing happened. You know, so the song comes out and it's starting the bomb, but then the uh, Catholic diocese bans it. <laughs> and once you ban something and teenagers find out that something's banned, <laughs> they want it even more. <laughs> and it just took off. I mean, person so, for for me personally, it might be my favorite Billy Joel song of all time. But um, <laughs> it's it, it, and and I and I'm not Catholic, but I mean, it's I I can't even imagine that that song wouldn't have been a hit without the diocese. But I but I love that story. It's great. Uh, yeah, funny. So okay, so so okay, so this comes out and 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 you're having hits and you're winning Grammys and so how is your life changing when that's going on? Because I imagine it had to change. Well, it didn't change that much. I mean, um, we were starting to get popular. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I used to go back to the old bar that I used to play in, and mm-hmm. and the songs were on the jukebox, and you know, now I'm getting free drinks. And, <laughs> you know, but we're really not making that much money yet. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I mean, I I asked Billy later on. I said, "Did you get rich from the stranger?" He goes, "No, but Columbia Records did." Yeah, so, yeah. But um. You know, so we're still just a bunch of friends that are in the studio doing what we love to do. Who do not know that we're going to make a hit? We're right. just playing music. Right, right. That's what we're doing. Right. You know? well, well, I mean, eventually you start to know that your hit machines, you know, the, you had so many that at a certain point you guys had to, you know, you guys had to be aware of what was going on with you. Well, yeah, you get to the point where it's like Billy could have fought it on the record. Yeah. You know, um, it, it, yeah, it got ridiculous after a while. As a matter of fact, one of the albums, I forget which one it was. Oh, Innocent Man. Mm-hmm. You know that one which it has um, Uptown Girl on yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, sure. Out at Longest Time. 
they kept putting out so many singles that they had to use flip sides because back then they had records. They had to use the flip side from other albums because they were running out of songs on Innocent Man. Because everything was, was a like, hit. That was the MTV age. Yeah. 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 It, it was it was really sick, you know? And, wow. And another album, they kept putting out singles, and I remember hearing Billy say, oh, God, I wish they would stop putting out singles on this thing. <laughs> I'm ready to move on to something new. <laughs> wow. Wow. So at what point is is your life changing? And, and is the dynamic in the band changing as success is coming? And what, what's happening with you guys as, as as a group? Is is it affecting you guys? No, we're still, we're still friends. We're mm-hmm. still playing. Um, we're still having a great time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I really saw the, the way we were when I, when we, after we recorded Innocent Man, I went on the road with Stevie Nicks for six weeks, mm-hmm. six months. Oh, uh-huh. And when I played with Billy, and we all played together, if we got fucked up the night before, and we were, like, making mistakes the next day, one other guy would carry you through, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because we were a band, mm-hmm. and we were friends, and we were just having fun. Billy would be laughing that, that the bass player was screwing up or whatever. <laughs> right. But when I went with Stevie... They were very serious Mm. about their music, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't really fun. Mm. And that's when I realized, wow, we are a different kind of band. We come Mm. from a different kind of place. Right. And that's that's when it was was really, really cool, and and the camaraderie that we had together. and, Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were like brothers that were together making this music and traveling the world, you know, right. being like pirates. We go in, you know, and uh, we drink your booze, we eat your food, your <laughs> fucking women, and we leave the next day, you know? It's like, like crazy. But meanwhile, so, um, you're you're also like a family man, I, although you, you have daughters who, and, and beautiful, successful daughters now. But so how is this affecting you as a dad? How much are you being, a, are you able to be a dad? What's that? What's that like? Well, my first daughter was born when um, Glass Houses came out. Mm-hmm. So we're already, how many albums in? One, two, yeah, three. Yeah, you're huge. We're, we're on the fourth album now. Yeah. So, so to be a family man, mm-hmm. nah. That's, that's when the booze habit got really bad. Yeah. And uh, it, it was just, you know, I mean, there's, there's so much dead time on the road because mm-hmm. uh, you only play for like, Two and a half hours, right? And the rest of the time, you you're in a strange place with strange people, and you know it's like every time you go to a different city, the people that you know or you just met, they want to party. Yeah, and then they wake up the next day and go to work because they live there, and you wake up and go to the next town where the next bunch of people want to party. <laughs> and the next thing you know, it it starts to snowball, and mm-hmm. it's like you come home and you're like putting cigarettes out on the floor and, you, and you're, you're drinking every night and listening to records really loud mm-hmm. and it becomes a problem. You mm-hmm. know? And But you uh, you did something about that. When, when did you decide to do something about that? I did. I actually, well, my first marriage fell apart mm-hmm. because I actually married a drinking buddy. Ah. And uh, we should, you know, I, I'm so thankful for my first daughter, but me and my first wife should have never got married. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after the party, when everybody went home, uh, I didn't want to be by myself. So mm-hmm. there was this other woman that drank as much as I did, and I thought, hey, why don't we get married, you know? Mm-hmm. And we continue to drink when everybody leaves. Mm-hmm. So then 
my second wife, I, I met her, and um, she was Stevie Nicks' roommate. Ah. So I got crazy on the road once with Joe Walsh. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, I thought to myself, this is nuts. I'm going to lose this gig, and I think I'll stop drinking. So I did for a while, mm-hmm. and a long while. And that's when I had more kids. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to uh, Florida, and uh, we ended up in a, a place that was a lot of old money, but young people were spending it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there was this place called the, the Bermuda Triangle, which has three bars. Mm-hmm. That if, Once you get caught in that Bermuda Triangle, <laughs> you've had it. And I went to the Bermuda Triangle and failed again. You know? uh-huh. And then that marriage broke up. <laughs> uh-huh. And then, uh, so... I came back to New York, and um, I met this the woman I'm married to now, mm-hmm. Anna. And, Who's um, gorgeous and lovely. We, she's, like, um, younger than I am. She's half, yes. uh, 25 years younger than me. And so I would go out with her and her friends and, who were younger, and I was, like, keeping up with them and partying and stuff. But uh-huh. I was crazy because things just weren't going my way. Mm. And uh, one morning she woke up and she said, this isn't going to work. It's either going to be me or you're going to keep drinking one or the other. Mm-hmm. And I just looked at her and remembering everything I had lost before. Mm-hmm. And I said, when do you want me to stop drinking? And she said, now would be a good time. Oh. And I said, I said, okay, wow. I will stop right now. Wow. And with, with the help of a life coach and, uh, you know, a lot of friends that I know that are, um, in the program and stuff, uh-huh. I have been sober now 15 years. Liberty, I just so I just yeah. took my 15 year cake this week. I I just took four Beautiful. cakes. Yes, we are on the same track. We're on the same. Uh, n- nice, wow. Beautiful, 15- and believe it and believe it or not, two months ago I had another girl, another little baby girl. <gasps> Are I didn't you know. Serious? I didn't even know that. Oh my God! Yeah. Wow. Congratulations! Wow! Thank you. That Thank is you. so cool. I had no idea. So now I have four daughters now. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. God! You know, I just want to tell you this. I was actually thinking of this on the way over here, having nothing to do with you. This is something that somebody told me a really long time ago. They said if a baby is a boy, it means that the mother did not have an orgasm. And if the baby is a girl, it means that the mother did have an orgasm. So every time I see a man who has a lot of daughters, I think, yeah, he knows how to do it. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm going to write that in my book. So, so you obviously know how to do it, Liberty. That is, that's crazy. That's so, okay, so so let's get back to the career thing. So, so you're making, ba- so, all right. So what happens with Billy? What happens there? Why does that go yeah. south? Okay, it goes sour because now um, Billy's married to Christy, and, and it's great. Christy mm-hmm. Brinkley, right? And mm-hmm. uh, he has Alexa Ray, his daughter. Right. And Alexa now is... Uh, I, I have one daughter that was with the first marriage, and then two daughters... That are with the second marriage. Mm-hmm. Now, with those two daughters, Alexa fits right in the middle of the two of them. Mm-hmm. So we're together all the time. Mm. We have Thanksgiving dinners together mm. and everything. We hang out. We go to the beach. We go on boats. Everything. Right. Together. So we're like family. Then mm-hmm. Billy and Christy break up. Mm-hmm. And at that same time, Billy finds out that his 
manager is taking money from him. I remember reading and, about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Billy is broke. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, um, wait, wait. The is the manager who is ripping him off, does, does he have anything to do with Billy's first wife? Why am I thinking there's a connection there? Yes. Yes. Uh, Elizabeth Joel's brother. That's what I thought. Okay, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And um, so he rips Billy off, and Billy uh, wants everything back that we were getting. Like, we were getting bonuses on albums and stuff like that, and yeah. he wants everything back from us. What? Uh, yeah. So he, he kind of he said it. He says, I feel like I'm, um, I'm stealing from Peter to pay Paul, but... Um, I, I want all my stuff back. I want everything back. So he gets, I, I would say he kind of gets paranoid. Wait, you, know? you mean you I literally mean, have to go into your bank account, withdraw money, and give it back to Billy? No, 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 no. no. Okay. That means that on records, we're not going to get anything anymore. In, in the future. Okay. okay, okay, In the future, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, we get to keep what we got, but okay. in the future, no more. Okay. So he gets all these new accountants and all these people, and yeah. so now... When we started and we're on the Turnstiles tour, mm-hmm. we're driving in two rental cars. Yeah. Now we're like on private jets and and stuff like that. Right. And new accountants are coming in. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Who don't know anything about the rental cars, and they're telling Billy, "Your name's on the marquee. Why do you need these guys? Why uh, are you paying them this much?" Mm-hmm. You know and. Because Billy was just taken, he's like, yeah, okay, how, how can I save money? Mm-hmm. And he starts to get rid of, like, some of the people, Russell, mm-hmm. Richie, mm-hmm. Doug, you know, mm-hmm. to go one at a time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's guys out there that'll play for free. Right, so he's just getting cheaper, he's getting cheaper, yeah. He's yeah. getting tighter. Yeah. He's getting tighter, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Because the accountants are, are telling him to. Right. You don't need these guys, people anymore. And then my my end came when he had the um, the play, mm-hmm. you know, the musical mm-hmm. called Moving Out mm-hmm. on Broadway. Mm-hmm. A- and um, he used to go and sit in with the band that played the songs in the musical. Mm-hmm. And the guys uh, that worked for Billy used to tease me and go, hey, have you gone to the musical yet and seen your replacement? You know, like, oh. that's not nice. <laughs> you know? Right. And that's actually what happened. He uh, <gasps> ended up taking that whole band on the road. and But he hasn't done any recordings since, you know, I left. Stormfront was the last one, River of Dreams, whatever the song was. Wow. So. Now, I, I, I've known Tommy Burns for 30 years, and Tommy, Tommy was in before that transition happened, right? Yes, Tommy came in. Um, let's see, David Brown was still in the band. And Doug, Doug was still in the No, Skyler. It happened when Russell and Doug were cut loose. Mm-hmm. That's when Skyler, the bass player, came in. Mm-hmm. And then Tommy came in a few years later. We, we tried a bunch of different guitar players. So now, and wh- then wait, uh, Louise has a question. What happened with your daughter's uh, friendship with Alexa Ray, ultimately? Well, they just don't see each other anymore. I mean, um, they, they, my daughter, my two daughters have seen Christy. They've gone see her. She was in um, Chicago, the the show Chicago, the mm-hmm. play, mm-hmm. and they went to see her perform. But I don't think they've seen Alexa. Maybe mm. one one of them speaks to her on Facebook or something. But wow. you know. 
And and was your relationship with Billy sh- as the as the guys in the band were shifting? Was your relationship with Billy changing? It, yes, mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. it, uh, because now my friends were leaving. I, I right. know Russell since he was he was fifteen years old, and I was right. like seventeen or right. sixteen. Right, right. And, and he used to come over to my house and play songs that he was writing, you know. And um, so and Doug. I got a picture of me playing with Supa and Doug and Russell is sitting in the audience watching me. Wow. And, uh, you know, so our history and friendship goes back a long way. And now my friends are being cut out. That had to be so, so hard for you. Oh, terrible. Because now I got three daughters and it's like, what am I going to say? I'm leaving a failure. You know? Right. Like, right. Oh, no. Right. You know, and, and- then uh, Doug couldn't take it. So he eventually uh, killed himself. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh my yeah. God. yeah. So the, colla- we, um, the collateral it, it damage of... Doug had a problem with food, with alcohol. And um, he was getting his life together, but it was a slow, slow process. And he was wanted to move to Nashville. He had a studio, and he just would, got very depressed. I think the worst thing he did was to go see us play when we played at National uh, Coliseum. He continued uh, to come around and, and uh, watch us. You uh, know? He couldn't stand to see somebody else on stage well, playing his part. I totally get it. I totally get yeah. it. Of course. Okay, so now wait. You you got sober while you were still with Billy, correct? Yes. Okay, so yeah, now well, did I, that... Did that... My, this, is my, this is my third shot. Okay. Show, but yeah. this, is, this is permanent now. So now, what, when you get sober, I mean, I know Tom. I've known Tommy for a long. I know party time, and Billy was also driving into people's living room windows and stuff. Did it? Did do you think it had influenced <laughs> the fact that that you were now sober? Did that make you less fun to have around? Do you think? Yes. He, yeah. He, you know, I, it's funny because when I first got sober and stuff, I got into the religion and I was reading the Bible and everything like mm. that and, and you know I used to bring it on the plane with me to read it he used mm. to come by and just touch the paper that it was, it was written on you know mm-hmm. I like the way that paper feels and just walk by and one night I'm, I come into the bar after a show mm-hmm. and he looks at me and he goes I feel like my mother's in the bar every time you walk in oh like whoa oh. I didn't do anything you know? wow wow so I guess people feel guilty when you're sober. But I, I remember one of the guys that we toured with, he came up to me once and he goes, I, you made it. You you stopped drinking. You made it. Mm-hmm. You've done it. We haven't done it yet. Mm-hmm. You made it. You know, it was like I was the success story. And I didn't kill myself. And you know? it, it sounds like to me that that it was a financial decision. Yeah, okay, that makes sense and all of that stuff. But it sounds to me too like you were probably a big reminder every night that they were drinking and you weren't. And, um, and that had, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Definitely. And you know, uh, if you drink, drinkers like to pal out with drinkers. Yeah. And they don't like non-drinkers around. Ap- yeah. Killjoys were not fun. Or, or I, yeah. I actually think I'm more fun than I ever was when I was using, but that's all another story. So, Yes. So now, so so, how does the actual end? Like, what is that like when, like, when you you find out who tells you you're out? <laughs> well, funny. Um, the other guys heard 
it was going to be announced on on MTV radio that uh, on MTV that Billy was going in the studio with new guy, new people, mm-hmm. and he was just taking me with him, mm-hmm. and the other guys were being cut out. Mm-hmm. So, but they found out on by listening to the radio. <laughs> oh my God! I I found out because Billy was getting married to his second, his third, third wife, his third wife, mm-hmm. the one that became the chef. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, right. That was a man. I don't yeah. know, but I remember uh, her. And I, I remember talking to one of the guys in the band and saying, well, I guess we're not invited to the wedding. You know, I didn't get uh, an invitation. Mm-hmm. And the guy, the band member member said, I did. <gasps> I was like, really? Oh. So, yeah, there was just no phone call or nothing like that. Wow. So, but I, I immediately got uh, a publicist to announce that I wasn't going to be on a road with Billy this time around because I didn't want people thinking that because I'm a shitty player that I'm not right. playing with Billy anymore. Right. You know. So, so we, wait a minute. So you didn't even know you were getting cut from the band. You just knew because you weren't invited to the wedding that you better do something? Yeah, I knew that this, wow. this was the end. Wow. Because we did everything together. So now how, personally, so from that day on, that was it? You never spoke to him again? It was like over? I spoke to him with lawyers oh, uh, on geez. the side of the table. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. Because yeah, I heard also bad. that you didn't get credit for like that you did you had input into a lot of the songs like Only the Good Die Young, which Billy admits publicly, and yet you weren't paid for that. Correct? Yeah, but that 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 wasn't why. It was more like um, when the internet came about. You know, mm-hmm. there's internet royalties mm-hmm. you get uh, uh, because you played on the record. Uh, there's a little bit of royalty that you get, and I wasn't getting it. It was supposed to be going through Billy's office, and it wasn't coming to the guys who played on the record. Mm-hmm. So I went after him for that type mm-hmm. of stuff. And I the, see. And the videos that we made that were on MTV were made for promotion for the records that were out. Right. And now they're being sold in Target and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. He's making money on them. Right. And our likeness is on it, so... Right. We should be getting money for it. Right. We weren't. Mm-hmm. So that's why I, see. I saw him with lawyers. I see. I see. Wow. That, that's... And it kind of, it it was a, it was a uh, double-edged kind of thing there because I, I didn't get what I was hoping for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not, not even close. Mm-hmm. But I did get to tell him how I felt. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. That's so important. Did did yeah, was, was there, I got closure on it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And and how and were you able? Was he able to look you in the eye? Like, what was that like? Uh, I spoke my piece, mm-hmm. and he was very quiet. And then he spoke his piece, and I was very quiet. Mm-hmm. That's just such. Like, it's know. such a damn shame. Thirty year friendship and and working relationship, and to have it just go down like that. You know what, though? I'm sort of an optimist, and I I kind of believe that. We're not dead yet, you know, and maybe, maybe, maybe there'll be, uh, you know, may, who knows? Who knows? Well, the, th- the thing is, is that now that we're doing the Lords of 52nd Street with Richie and Russell. Right. It's like if Billy knows we're doing it. And I'm sure he Ex- must. Liberty, explain. Ex- he hasn't heard himself. Explain to everybody but, out there about the because it's a, tr- a Billy Joel tribute. Explain what, what you do so that people. Well, will... we're not. It's not a tribute band. OK, because. I can't be playing a tribute to me. You know right. That's I mean? a good point. Every note that I play in those songs, you created, I created it for the record. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. 
So, and Richie, when he plays his solos, he created those. Right, solos. but who who's singing? Like, and are they doing it like Billy? Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. The thing that's great is this guy. We have this guy. His name is Dave Clark. He's from Long Island. He plays piano and he sings. He actually sometimes looks like Billy, but it's, uh, we try to get him out away from that. You uh-huh. know, he's just like a little round and he's got a goatee. So, uh-huh. so is Billy. But, you yeah. Know. Uh, but the thing that that people see when they come to see us play, uh-huh. we do all the songs that we we played on, and we do them in the original key where Billy has dropped the, the key of the song, I mean, a, a whole step or even more than that. So he's singing much lower. Wow. So we actually we actually sound more like the record wow. than Billy does. That's crazy. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And, uh, and it's funny because people walk away and they go, wow, it's just like the 70s and, and early 80s again. You guys play with so much energy, mm-hmm. you know. We still have the energy because we love doing it, you know. Wow. Okay. So, and then also, there's the New York Hit Squad. So, so that's like sort of an all-star band going on there. Um, yeah, the, the NYC Hit Squad kind of morphed into Clean Getaway because you know, because me and Ricky and uh, the horn players, all mm-hmm. sober, mm-hmm. and um, none of the other people support our sobriety, and so it kind of morphed into. Clean Getaway. And so just, just uh, for the people out there who don't know about Clean Getaway, I mean, Ricky was on and talked about it, but give us a little bit about what Clean Getaway is about. Yeah, it, um, you know, people who get sober think they can't go to bars anymore, but they still want to listen to rock and roll music. Mm-hmm. So we play music for sober people, you know, so to great. enjoy. And um, we still rock as hard, if not harder, than we did when we weren't sober. Mm-hmm. And I think we play better. You know, yeah. and uh, people really enjoy it because you don't have to get fucked up to enjoy music. You know, and Absolutely. it's great to remember it the next day. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and how did you get involved you know? with Little Kids Rock? That's fabulous. A little Little Kids Rock. Uh, that was a while ago when uh, I got a call from. Uh, you know, I in, in, I'm an endorser of um, different companies, and Sabian Symbols is one of them. Mm-hmm. And Little Kids Rock was just forming. And someone knew he was going to do a, a magazine spot on them. And Fabian Symbols was supporting Little Kids Rock at the time. And they said, if they get somebody who's a celebrity mm-hmm. to go when, when they're doing this interview, they'll give them more time on, in the magazine. Mm. So I went, and that's when I first met Dave Wish, mm-hmm. who started Little Kids Rock. And, uh, you know, he started with 20 kids out in the, the worst part of California, uh, teaching these kids how to play guitar. And, and, and over the years now, about 500,000 kids have gone through Little Kids Rock. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Good for you, yeah, Liberty. Really uh, that's and, and a daddy to a little kid, too. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. All right. I don't want to. It's like sleepless nights again. Oh, God. Better you than me. I mean, you know, I got. Yeah. Mine are grown now. And I, I can't even imagine doing that again. Wow. Well, it's it's easier now. Is it? It's easier. Yeah, because... Because you're not doing it. You're making your wife do it. Yes. You know, I I love this this baby. I I love all my children, Mm -hmm. but but to hold this baby again and get another shot at life when you think a lot of your friends are like slowing down Mm -hmm. and doing nothing. Mm -hmm. 
I'm retiring, I'm doing this, I'm going to move to Florida, I'm going to mm-hmm. stay there, oh, I'm getting fat, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, no, man, I'm still playing rock and roll, and I got a little two-month-old baby. That is know? just, that is just the best. All right, Liberty, before we go, I have one final question for you. Do you okay. have a guilty pleasure by any chance? Is there anything that you eat, that you listen to, that you wear, that you do, that you watch, anything that you like, go, I can't believe I like this. Is there anything like that in your life? Yeah, I would say, because <laughs> my wife makes fun of me, I love to watch The Family Feud. <laughs> that is the best answer we've ever had. I, I, I love it. I love it. Now, now why? <laughs> because I, I, I love the, um, uh, his name just slipped my mind. Who is the MC on it? Drew Carey. Uh, um, is it Drew Carey now? No, Steve Harvey. No, Steve Harvey. No, yeah. No. Steve Harvey. Yeah. I love Steve Harvey. I think he's fantastic. And sometimes he is so shocked by the end <laughs> stop laughing at the TV. And and do you play along like at home? Or are you like screaming shit out? Oh, I, I'm like, like if it's like a name, uh, name, name something that women desire. And, and I'll say, chocolate, say chocolate, say chocolate. And they'll say, uh, nail polish. <laughs> oh, you idiot, chocolate. <laughs> I love it. That's an excellent guilty pleasure. <laughs> Liberty, thank you so much. I've enjoyed every second of this. I I adore thank you. Thank you. You're you're my favorite rock and roll drummer. You're you're iconically brilliant, and I um I'm so grateful that you took this time with us. And and yay, we're we're sober brother sister. Fifteen years, rock on, yes, yay. Um, thanks a million, Wonderful. Liberty. We will talk soon. Good to good okay. to have you here. Thank you. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye, Lou. Okay, so, so Wheezy. Yeah. Takeaway with Liberty DeVito. Um, <sighs> he is just so darling. I, 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 that, you know, I say this every time. I got to say it again. That was one of my favorite. That was fantastic. Yeah. He's wonderful. Yeah. Right? Yeah, he is. He's a very special soul. He really is. Mm-hmm. Um, the takeaway for me, um, I, I haven't had time to process it because normally we take a break after we say goodbye and we... We, we let the person out of the house. Well, yeah, and, and we take a moment and like brain cells settle and everything. And I haven't had any time to process this at all. So I, I'm, I'm going to be talking off the, the top of my head off out of the seat of my pants. But for me, with him, it was be the best you can be. I mean, like he just, he taught himself. He's self-taught. I respect that so much. He, I, I can imagine the amount of hours that he spent listening to those records to be able to play them and then putting in the time with the wedding band because he knew that he was learning his craft mm-hmm. and his attention to that detail. I mean, I, you know, I don't know how much you know his playing, but I mean, I've, I've seen him play live many times. He really... Nobody can play like Liberty. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is just a monster on that kid, but not just a monster rock and roll drummer, like really tasteful. Mm-hmm. I mean, like he just, he's got a lot of textures, a lot of colors. He's, uh, I mean, you don't play with Billy Joel for 30 years and not know what yeah. you're doing. Phrasing. Right? right? Yeah. Yes. Just, and uh, he's very open to rebirth. That's a great point. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, just even if you start at the beginning with teaching himself the drums, mm-hmm. uh, then 
reteaching himself the drums through the wedding band mm-hmm. and then being with Billy and then that door closing and having even just having different kids and starting different families just and say. starting over with his sobriety and just always turning a corner and going, oh, you know what? I uh, let's just reboot this and uh, blank page. Let's let's go. I, I was just going to say that, that this having this new baby is a perfect example of what of, of what you're saying. Yeah, he's just ready to go. And 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 not daunted by, you know, to me, the thought of starting over is like, oh, my God. You know, he has all this passion and enthusiasm for something being new. Mm-hmm. And he gets excited about it. Yeah. And I think that's a huge secret of success. Yes. Is to not be daunted by change, to welcome it, to embrace it, to uh, be passionate and excited about it. And it seems that he's just as excited about rock and roll today as he was when he heard the Beatles the first time. I think he is. Maybe even more so. Right? Because he knows more. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Weezy. You did a great job on the board. Yes, be open to learning Pro Tools. And and there you go. You're you're (laughs) a perfect example of someone else who is constantly learning new things. Now I have to learn how to turn it off. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we might be here for... You can turn us off at home, but we'll still be sitting here alone in the dark. Thank you all out there for joining Louise Palanker and I on The Road Taken and come back um next tuesday mine the archives there's tons of incredible shows on there and you can you know we're here whenever you are so you can come anytime but there is a new show every tuesday on the road taken the road taken is a radio free podcast here whenever you are a new show every tuesday available on itunes soundcloud stitcher tune in and on the corner of hollywood and vine where i'll be using a bullhorn well you can also get links to all this and more at vickiabelson.com that's v-i-c-k-i-a-b-e-l-s-o-n please follow subscribe review lather rinse repeat till next tuesday And mine and binge our archive while you're at it. It's rich with information, inspiration, and fun, damn it. Thanks for listening. And if you like to watch, keep your eyes peeled for our next Facebook Live. 